That suspect was Lee Harvey Oswald, who had fatally shot the president of the United States less than two hours earlier. The Texas theater is in Oak Cliff, just three miles south of Dealey Plaza and the Texas School Book Depository. The fate of the building from which Oswald fired that fatal shot was debated in Dallas for years. Judson recognized that if you tear down this building, it's almost like Dallas is admitting some guilt in the assassination. And he felt like certainly Dallas was not responsible in any way for the president's death. So he recognized this building is ultimately like Ford's Theater in Washington. It needs to be preserved and it needs to become a museum or an exhibit that commemorates what happened here uh, so that Dallas can kind of exorcise those last demons from 1963. I'm Chris Blake, and this month on Texas Wants to Know, we're focusing on the 60th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. On our final episode of the month, we're examining the assassination's immediate and long-term impacts on Dallas. Dallas is an extraordinarily different city from what it was in 1963. That's longtime Dallas Morning News reporter Michael Granberry. We've heard from him often in this series of episodes on Kennedy. Before we get into the impact the assassination had on the city, let's establish where Dallas was in the early 1960s. Politically alone, for instance, John F. Kennedy carried Texas. Many people believe he would not have carried Texas had he not added Lyndon Johnson, a Texan, to the ticket. That was the reason he did that. He carried Texas very narrowly. That allowed him to beat Richard Nixon very narrowly. Kennedy won Texas with just over 50 percent of the vote. He carried the Electoral College 303 to 219, but won the popular vote nationally by less than two-tenths of a percent. You know, what a lot of young people find surprising is that in many ways, the Democrats were the conservative party back in that era, the Dixiecrats, as they were called. The Democratic Party owned the South. Now, in Dallas, you had some very wealthy communities that were largely Republican, and Nixon did carry Dallas County. Granberry recalled a conversation he had with Pulitzer Prize-winning author Lawrence Wright about the assassination. Wright was a sophomore at Woodrow Wilson High School in Dallas in 1963. He has paid a lot of attention to, as I have, to the impact of the assassination on the city of Dallas and its identity, the psychological impact of it on Dallas. And he actually thinks that Ruby... You know, Ruby said that he was sort of doing it for Jackie and the kids, but but he kind of thinks that Ruby was kind of doing it for Dallas, that he he felt that Dallas had been shamed by the assassination. Ruby is Jack Ruby, the man who fatally shot Oswald two days after the Kennedy assassination as authorities moved Oswald from the city jail to the county jail. Here's Ruby biographer Danny Fingeroth. Ruby was very concerned about the right wing, which he saw as inherently anti-Semitic. That was a big concern of his. And what he, among the really wacky things he did in the 48 hours between the two killings, was kind of driving around Dallas as if he was a detective assigned by somebody to try to get to the bottom of who had killed Kennedy. The Kennedy assassination gave Dallas a reputation as the city of hate. 
Here's Stephen Fagan, the curator of the Sixth Floor Museum. It was very tough to live in Dallas in the years after the Kennedy assassination. In our oral history project, which we've interviewed close to 2,500 people about their memories of this, so often, particularly from young people growing up in Dallas during that time, a great deal of, of shame uh, was experienced because they were simply from Dallas. A lot of people tell me that when they would travel, they would try not to mention they were from Dallas. They would typically say Texas if they were asked. But there are some really interesting horror stories. The publisher of the Dallas Times Herald was in New York not long after the assassination, got into a taxi cab. The driver asked him where he was from, and his name was Jim Chambers. When Chambers said Dallas, the cab driver stopped the cab and ordered him out in snow because he wasn't going to drive him anywhere. He wasn't going to uh, carry a fare from Dallas, Texas. Granberry shared a similar travel experience about being from Dallas. Chris, I, I've had very personal experiences with this. I remember in 1988, I met an older man in New York, and uh, we we met uh, at a at a wedding, and we were having a great conversation. And then he said, uh, "I forgot to ask, where are you from?" And I said, "Dallas, Texas," and he suddenly looked like I had punched him in the gut. I mean, he he sat back in his chair and his face kind of went white. And I said, why are you reacting that way? And he said, um, uh, it's because of uh, it's because of Kennedy. I, I'll just never forgive you people for how you killed Kennedy. Then I felt like I'd been punched in the gut. When do you think that tide started to turn? Was it just a matter of getting distance from the event or was there something else that helped turn the view of Dallas nationally? The World War II generation, obviously, those dear folks are the great, I do think they were the greatest generation. They're dying off. Many of them, both my parents are gone. Then you have the baby boomer generation. We're all, I'm 71. You know, I, I mean, the Kennedy assassination happened 60 years ago. I was alive when it happened, but it was still 60 years ago. So I think you have a much younger population here now, and you have so many people. I experienced this when I moved to San Diego to work in the Los Angeles Times Bureau there in 1978, one of the first things the bureau chief said to me only semi-facetiously was, one of the things you're going to be struck by is that nobody who lives in San Diego is from San Diego. They're all from someplace else. We had one guy in our newsroom who I believe was a native San Diegan, and that was it. He theorizes the national distaste for the Dallas Cowboys can also be traced back to 1963. NFL Commissioner Pete Rozelle made the decision to go ahead with the league's schedule on November 24th, just two days after the shooting. The Cowboys played in Cleveland two days after the assassination and were immediately hit with a wave of hostility, which Bob Lilly and some of the other players on that team said continued on. You know, they encountered this. Uh, I did this book, Hole in the Roof, <laughs> about the Cowboys. We have a whole chapter on the assassination. And part of what we deal with in the book is the roots of Dallas Cowboys hatred. I actually think the roots of that are with the assassination. Even if it's a millennial who hates the Cowboys, maybe he's grown up in a home where, you know, the generations of Cowboys hatred have come down and, and that's the way he or she feels, right? Because I mean, Chris, 
you follow sports, what kind of threat are the Cowboys right now? I mean, for it's been 27 years since they were in an NFC championship game, much less a Super Bowl. So it's something else, right? It has to be something else. And I think if you if you psychoanalyze cowboy hatred, it's like a tree, all the branches, all the roots, all of the twigs. I mean, you know, it's going to go back to the assassination. There's no question. Fagan, however, feels differently about the Cowboys' impact on the city. When people ask, you know, what helped to lift the stigma, the answer is really twofold. One was the Dallas Cowboys and their success becoming America's team with Roger Staubach. The other one is the Dallas TV series with J.R. Ewing because that transformed this image of Dallas. And so from a pop culture perspective, the, the you know, who shot J.R. became more significant than who shot JFK. And so those two things, the TV series and the Cowboys, really kind of helped the city move move past that stigma, but it lingered for years and years. The show Dallas kind of presented the city to the country in a whole different light that had ever been seen before anyways, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, suddenly Dallas became this booming oil and banking town, which which in a way it always had been. Of course, uh, you know, Dallas, the TV series, portrayed it in a very cartoonish, exaggerated way. But what it did was it reinterpreted the city, I suppose, culturally, so that you didn't necessarily focus on Dealey Plaza, on Elm Street, the Texas School Book Depository, the Grassy Knoll, those identifiers that had become so deeply connected to Dallas. Suddenly it became South Fork or other other local lo- local sites that I think people could look to for the image of Dallas more so than this, this side of a presidential assassination. The Sixth Floor Museum, where I met Fagan for our discussion in October, is housed in the building where Oswald fired the shot that killed the president. The long struggle of the Texas School Book Depository really reflects the collective memory of Dallas and how uh, deeply impacted this community was by the events of November 1963. After the assassination, Dallas came under a great deal of international criticism in a way that was not experienced by Memphis after Dr. King's death in 68 or Los Angeles after Bobby's death in 68. Dallas was a very special case because the political atmosphere in the city in the months and years leading up to Kennedy's visit had unfairly characterized this community as extremist and toxic. It wasn't the mainstream image of Dallas, but it was the the national perception based on a vocal group of political extremists. And so after Kennedy was killed, there was this notion, oh, Dallas. Dallas is the city of hate. Only in a toxic environment could extremism like this thrive, leading to the death of the president. The building, which was rebuilt in 1901 after a lightning strike, had multiple tenants prior to 1963. But after the assassination, it remained vacant for more than 15 years. And this building, where we are today, the Texas School Book Depository, really became, for local residents, this manifestation of evil, this dark reminder of the worst moment in the city's modern history. So there were efforts to tear down the building in the 70s. No one really knew what to do with it. It went up for sale several times. Ultimately, Dallas County bought the building to save it from demolition, but also turn it into a useful part of the community by transforming it into the seat of county government. And it was the seat of Dallas 
county government for 40 years from about 81 to 2021. Within that, the sixth and seventh floors were left vacant because of course no one wanted to office in the sniper's perch on the sixth floor. And, and there was a recognition even then in the 70s, less than 20 years after the assassination, that something needed to be done for the millions of people that visit Dealey Plaza, something that would put the Kennedy assassination in its proper historical context. Who were some of the key players, even from a city or a county level, that helped you know push that through? Well, uh, Wes Wise, who was at KRLD in 1963, he was the mayor of Dallas during part of this. And it was Wes who really pushed the city council to freeze demolition permits on the building. And that paved the way for Dallas County to step in and acquire the building as part of a bond package. The public works director in the 70s, Judson Shook, was really the man responsible for saving the school book depository. He officed across the street, watched tourists milling about out in the plaza, coming up to the locked doors of the building, having a very unsatisfying experience. The museum itself was really developed by two very extraordinary women, Conover Hunt, a historian and author from Virginia, and a local preservation activist named Lyndalyn Adams, who passed away a couple of years ago. If it weren't for those two ladies, the sixth floor as we have it today would not have happened. So 60 years on, what do you think the city's relationship is with the assassination today? That's a really good question. And I was asked that 10 years ago at the 50th anniversary. Uh, the city staged a very impressive uh, official commemoration at the half century mark of the assassination. And I think it was sort of designated as the moment that Dallas kind of came to terms with this dark moment in its past. I think if anything, as a community, Dallas has internalized the assassination. And I think this museum has actually played a significant role because it has become part of the cultural landscape of Dallas. It's become a place of education and historical discovery. It's hard to argue with that. I mean, field trips here, kids learn about it the right way. If you have family that comes in from out of town, this is a lot of times one of the places that people want to come visit when they're in Dallas. It is very much a site of necessary pilgrimage. And it's interesting to see the different age ranges that come through Dealey Plaza. I have seen young people on their own without baby boomer, without grandparents, you know, just kind of wandering around. And it's interesting that a site like this can serve so many different audiences. wraps up our month-long look at the Kennedy assassination 60 years later. If you're curious about how it changed the way we consume news or why it sparked so many conspiracy theories, check out our feed for the first three episodes on JFK. I'm Chris Blake at News Radio 1080 KRLD in Dallas-Fort Worth. Thanks for joining me for Texas Wants to Know. If you like the show, please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I wrote, produced, and edited this episode with editorial support from Cooper Mall and original music by Michael Eisenstein. Odyssey's managing producer for National News Podcasts is Myron Kaplan. <laughs>